where it's at. I got two Dan tables and a microphone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Where It's At. I am your host, Mark Pearson, and this is my Neosporin-covered co-host... Dan Hornstein. (laughs) If you haven't heard us before, this podcast is a music-based podcast for anyone who enjoys music. And on this podcast, Dan and I each pick an album for the week, we listen to it, then we come together and give a brief, brief bio of the artist and discuss why we picked, you know, the albums, and then we have a conversation about it. No uh, explanation for the Neosporin. <laughs> You're just going <laughs> to put that out there and not give me a chance to define it. Uh, go for it. Because <laughs> you burnt. No. I, no, I, I, I was telling Mark a minute ago, I got in a bicycle accident. I flipped my bike over yesterday and um, I got Neosporin all over my hands to heal He's faster. So it's for on. its intended purpose. It's not for like some kind of weird shit that I'm into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because you just say my Neosporin-covered co-host, that (laughs) warrants an explanation. Yeah. Like, Juan has always told me, he's like, like, you're an instigator. I'm like, what? I just put ideas in people's minds. It's not my responsibility where they go with it. And it's my responsibility to clean up (laughs) the Neosporin. Come back this week. Uh, real quick before we get into today's uh, sniggles, uh, you can find us on Instagram. You can find me at Mr. Underscore Pockets 21, and you can find Dan at Dwight Privilege. I still love that. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you can send us an email at wherepod at gmail.com. And so today for sniggles, uh, I picked Remember When. By Chevelle. Now, when Chevelle first came out, it was like, what, 2001 or 2002, somewhere in there, was when I first heard of them. Um, They were, like, on that tail end of the new metal thing, even though they weren't, in my opinion, they weren't very new metal-y. Like, they had some new metal elements, but they were just always been more of, like, a traditional rock band to me. So I Mm -hmm. heard Chevelle. I really liked their first two records, and then ever since then, I just kind of lost interest. It was either more of the same or... It just it just didn't do anything for me anymore. So I wanted to give this. I just wanted to like I picked this. I was like I just want to give this like a cold listen to, and give it a, like an objective listen. And I think Chevelle, at least with this song, remember when it really brings back some of that what I would call their signature sound. Just like the way the guitar work is done, the way the vocalist sings. I really dig the intro. It has this big, massive, epic feel, and it's mm-hmm. attempting to build on something. But as soon as the chorus hits, it just falls flat. <laughs> ah! It's it's more of the same of what they've been doing for like the last like 15 years. It's it's an okay song, but yeah. it's lacking a spark. And I feel like most of their recent work for me has just like lacked the special spark that the first two records had. Because the first two records I felt were really good and just very well done and very creative. And I just feel like they've been doing just the same thing, like copy, paste, copy, paste. Okay. I get that. I get that completely. I feel when I listened to this, I was not a very big Chevelle fan when they came out. They had that one Mm -hmm. song, The Red. It was on the radio everywhere. All the time. Yeah. But there were four or five other songs at that time that I couldn't distinguish between who did what. And it was, I think, um, it's a bad comparison, I know, but like Trapped was one of those bands. Seether was one of them. Breaking Benjamin, uh, they and they all kind of came out at the same time, and so I 
didn't really pay Chevelle a lot of attention. I was right there with you, man. When you recommended this song, I was a little bit like, oh, okay. I remember the red when it came out. I wasn't a big fan of it. This I started listening. I'm like, wow, their singer sounds different than what I remember. Uh, Chevelle was the band that, if I recall correctly, the little circle of people that I was around, the biggest complaint that they all had then was that Chevelle was kind of a tool ripoff. And I never thought that they were a big tool ripoff. Me I could either. hear little details that sounded like a tool song to it. Right. This one to me sounded a lot like a 30 seconds to Mars song. Yeah. And even that they were trying to write a song that sounded like it was set on the planet Mars a little right. bit. <laughs> Right. And I, I looked at like the cover art and I read a little bit about it. And I was like, yeah, they 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 really I think they were effective in what they set out to do. Oh, I even wrote down the quote from the song where the guy I forgot who it was, but one of the two uh, Chevelle brothers wrote, this is the musical equivalent of the image of an astronaut disconnected and floating off into space. The thoughts that would flood the mind are truly terrifying. I use a sort of single string chugging approach. It's a guitar part to the guitar line here. And it's different for us. It's super exciting. It's very important for us to try new things at this point. We always need a new challenge. So that's the guitar player statement on the song. Mm -hmm. And I wrote that down and I thought, you know what, if that's what they set out to do, I feel like they kind of painted that imagery a little bit. Mm -hmm. I still didn't like it very much though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I gave it two and a half beards. Like I like the guitar work, but other than that, I just feel I'm just like, I don't want to even review this album. I don't even care to listen to the rest of this album because you're putting this single out as like your best foot forward. And I'm just not impressed. Yeah, I, I like, like it's this. more of this. Blech. I like the singing. Uh, I like the sound on the guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, the The overall tone of this, the production and stuff felt. There was there was there was just no dynamics to it. Mm hmm everything about it when it kicked in and it's supposed to sound bigger and heavier it didn't it felt very bleh yeah and i think that's because of the way that they compressed the sound together yeah it was all singular volume and it was kind of it just became really underwhelming i gave it two beards yeah okay so we're right there in the same ballpark yep so what'd you pick this week for your sniggle so this week for my sniggle i picked a new song by composer danny elfman called kick me Danny Elfman is famed Hollywood composer and former Oingo Boingo frontman, mm-hmm. which I think is such a great band name. I never was a huge fan of Oingo Boingo, but they've got like two or song, two or three songs that I really like a lot. Um, and but Danny Elfman's score in the late 80s and early 90s has had a pretty significant impact on me musically. I'm mm-hmm. the guy that will straight up, I think the movie sucks, but I will listen to the music for Edward Scissorhands all day long. The movie's not great. Go back and rewatch <laughs> it. We, if you haven't seen that movie since the 90s, it does not hold up. It's really bad. It's a really bad movie. It looks cool. It's got a good aesthetic, but plot-wise, yeah. it's dog shit. But the music is so gorgeous. And then there's the Batman score. There's Batman Returns. There's Beetlejuice, which is so recognizable. There's the stuff that he did for Pee-wee's Big Adventure and the Simpsons theme. And the list kind of goes on and on and on for Danny Elfman. That said, Danny Elfman, for the past maybe 20 years, I think he's lost his spark. I think he's his the I've listened to a few of his scores 
for movies since those days and all of the individuality that he had, the things that made him sound really unique and irreplicable Mm -hmm. are gone. And the stuff that he's doing now is so traditional Hollywood that Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's just burnt out or what. So when he puts out this single kick me, I get excited and I go, Oh, is this kind of a return to form for Danny Elfman? And to a degree, yeah, a little bit. There's some wacky, weird stuff (laughs) happening in this song with the different use of rhythms. There's a lot of like frantic strings that come in that set this thing up at the beginning. Um, And it's, it's a lot of notes and it's very well done. Then it, there's, it, it straight up kind of becomes a metal track yeah, with him, <laughs> uh, which I was not expecting from Danny Elfman. That's something I haven't heard a lot from him. Here he is. Now he's doing metal. Uh, I overall pr- really, really appreciate that this seems to be kind of a return to form for Danny Elfman. I do think it's a valiant effort. I love the experimental nature of this, but at the same time, overall, It's not a very good song. I love Mm -hmm. the effort. I love that he tried something new. I feel like he really took a leap into some unknown territory and put himself out there creatively, but kind of a swing and a miss for me. Yeah, I I gave it two beards. Uh, It's not something I would listen to, but it's definitely a fun listen because for the experimental nature, the lyrics really crack me up. Like yes. I was, that was one thing that just had me laughing when I would listen to it. But I was like, I don't listen to composer music all that often. But I, uh, I was like, I could appreciate what he was doing. But yeah, it was a swing and a miss kind of a thing. So I was like, I appreciate who he is. I like the uniqueness of it and the mm-hmm. creativity of it. But other than that, I was just kind of like, man, this is kind of disappointing. I, I agree. I don't think after this week, I listened to the song about four times and I think four is plenty. I don't see yeah. myself going back. I would be interested if he puts out a record that's another pop kind of record where he's singing and he's writing more traditional songs in this respect. Mm-hmm. I'll check that out. He did a uh, I'm not going to think of the name of it right now. He did a ballet out of nowhere. He wrote a four piece, a four act ballet. And I listened to that and it's really good. And it's from a few years ago. So you can tell there's some there's some Danny Elfman still in there. He's the the spark hasn't died out. The flame is not extinguished. (laughs) I want him to I want him to really I hope that he can get back into tap into whatever he was doing in the late 80s and early 90s when he was writing those unique scores that made it so awesome for me. Uh, If he can do that, I'm on board. But if it continues to be like this, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Danny. (laughs) We'll have to wait and see. So this week, we kind of came to our favorites. It finally came to the point where we picked our favorite artists. So this week, I picked my favorite album by my favorite artist, and I picked White Pony by Deftones. But we're going to do the deluxe edition, which has all the songs remixed. So I'm going to split this into two halves because the okay. album is essentially in two halves. So the album is just all the original tracks from I White Pony. I didn't do that, Mark. So just so <laughs> you know, my, <laughs> my review is going to be a little bit different. That's fine. So um, I just, so actually I'll, I'll, I'll save that for when it comes to it. Cause there are some changes that the a record company made to the album six months or so after the album came out, which I'll get into a little bit. So the album starts off with Fiat Syria, which is one of like the best intro tracks to an album I've ever heard. It's 
If the guitar riff just sets the tone for everything, the drums help it build, and as soon as Chino's vocals come in, the song just explodes with this raw energy and melody. And uh, for the time, like Deftones, their two previous albums were a lot harder and a lot heavier and more traditional new metal, a lot more screaming, a lot more heavy riffs. And this song, while it's still heavy and hard, Chino explores his like vocal, what he can do with his voice, like how he can sing. But he has the, he experimented more with like the slightly off pitch singing where he's like hitting fifths and sevenths and stuff in the song. And he just, he just, on this song, he just nails it. His vocals on his vocals make this song. (laughs) This is, this is the best record for him singing. Yes. Out of, yeah. out of everything that they've done. I think he, he just, his range is all over the place, top to bottom on this yeah. record. Yeah. And this song particularly stands out to me because it's not traditionally structured at all. The song is largely just like three parts. There's like the first riff, this little break, the first riff again, and then an ending. And it's cool. I love this mm-hmm. song because it's unique in that sense. It's a very, just, it's a very non-traditional song. And the lyrics are chaotic. It did, all the lyrics on this album basically don't make any sense. That's, well, I've heard <laughs> okay. several interviews with like the, the band members of uh, Deftones, and they'll ask, like, what is Chino singing about? And like Steph and Abe, and you know, we don't know what the fuck Chino's singing about. We never <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and so you know they're like he just that's goes good. And does his Th- thing. That's good because there, there's a couple of I don't I don't hear lyrics a lot, but there's some uh-huh. things that are on this record that when I was going back and listening to it, I went, I I think I get something some stuff wrong. I'll point it out when we get to those tracks. Okay, but it's it's interesting because. Like there's, there's a few songs even where people have asked, you know, like, oh, like changing the house of flies, a song later on this album, they asked Chino, what's this song about? And he said, I have never told anyone what this song is about and I'm not going to. The only thing Chino has ever really said about this album is that he didn't write the lyrics from a, like a reflecting on himself or anything. Everything, all the lyrics was just from a pure like fantasy standpoint. It was just like, you know, about other subjects or things that just came to his mind that didn't necessarily tie into anything in reality, which really comes out in like digital bath and knife party. But, Mm -hmm. um, the first song fit Syria is just short and sweet. It's the ending is like this epic conclusion. It builds to the end and the, the interplay between Chino's like singing and then like the whispers at the end is just, it's like magical. It's the the background, like soon I'll let you go soon. It's so good. Uh, Every time I've heard that song, it's just like it from the first time I heard it to now, it still has that same like specialness and uniqueness to me. It's, it's still just got that it hits that sweet spot of something where I'm just like, wow, there's something really special about this. And it like sets off the album on this great place. And then uh, the one thing that I found really interesting after like over the years hearing interviews with the guys from the band is how this album was written. They, they spent, I think they spent what, two months, two or three months. Chino just took to write the lyrics for this album. Oh, wow. Okay. So for 11 songs, two or three months to write lyrics, that's a long time. Yeah. So, um, but what, how they wound up when they were writing the music for this, uh, Steph and Chino would each try and outdo each other. And you can kind of start hearing that because the heavier songs are Steph's contributions. 
And then the more melodic songs and the more electronic-driven stuff is is the songs that Chino would bring. And so uh, Steph would, said in an interview, he said, I would come, he said, I would come and I brought Elite. And everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. And then Chino came in with like digital bath. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. He's like, and we get pissed at each other. I'm like, no, I got to outdo him. And I think that's, that spirit of competition is what made this album so great because they've, they've had other good albums, but nothing ever like this before. This one nice. was unique and experimental. And, and Steph said, he said, we've, Chino and I fought like pigs. He's like, we fought all the time. But I think that that, that like, just that con- conflict there helped them bring out a ton of creativity. Uh, Digital Bath starts out with, I think, the best drum intro to a song of all time. It's just the drums by yeah. itself. It's a really unique, fun beat. Yep. And it just like kicks off the song. And then the whole song has that water vibe to it, and a, uh, which is fitting because it's a song about a woman dying in a bathtub. But uh, the calm verse is perfect contrast to the chorus and the distorted heavy guitars. And that really just all shines perfectly together with Chino's incredible falsetto singing on the chorus. It's like he's hitting those high notes and you're like, how is he doing this? Yeah, that's what that's what knocked me out of the knocked this out of the park for me more. I was you and I've talked about this on our own. I was never really big Deftones fan. With their mm-hmm. first two records. Adrenaline, my buddy had it when it came out. We would listen to it. I thought Bored was an okay song, but for the most part, it's just kind of an okay record. Around the Fur came out. I thought it was a little bit better. I wasn't into mm-hmm. a lot of screaming at that time. My, my taste, it was, I was in high school. I had high school right. musical taste. Let's just say that and leave it where it is. But then this album comes out in college, and it's a part of sort of a three-album arc right. for me. Between Meridian by A Perfect Circle, White Pony by The Deftones, and Tools Lateralis, which came out mm-hmm. after those two. Those three records together mm-hmm. are, are such a big part of my life in early college. It was all I listened to. A close fourth would be Toxicity by System of a Down. Yep. And man, this coming back and listening to this, it just as such, I, this was my nostalgia week. I got sucked right back into. <laughs> Just right there where I was, I'm riding around in my friend's blazer, getting blazed, uh, <laughs> <laughs> listening to White Pony over and over and over again. We wore this record out, and and a big part of that for it was the space, the atmosphere that they created. I just absolutely love the vibe on a lot mm-hmm. of these songs, and Chino's singing, which was not only very different from what he did in the past, but technically just... All, I mean, his 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 skill level as a singer, I think, really shone through. And I don't think anybody was expecting that. This came out. It was no. like, who? Wow, wow. Every time I come on, wow, he's saying that he, that's him. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because he could. I always thought he was a great vocalist. That's actually like that and the guitars. His vocals and the guitars have always been like my favorite things about their music. But when this album came out, uh, I had just started college. And this album came out and I was literally like every time I went anywhere, it was playing in the car. I would be in my room studying. It was, I was playing it. And all my friends were like, dude, you like this band so much. And I'd be like, stop and give it a chance. Like there were friends of mine that didn't listen to rock music and they, you know, they liked other genres or whatever. And they were like, no, I don't really listen to rock and I don't like new metal. And I was like, give this record a chance. And they did. And they got hooked on it. 
they were like, wow, there's something super special about this. It's a me- it's it's hands down. It's the Deftones' best record. Yes. I mean, without a doubt. And and it's a watermark for rock music at that time in terms of yeah. those other three records for me. After that, none of those other bands were as good. No, right. Um, right. They still made good music, but yeah, that it's- was that was a peak three record thing. And I'm I'm so glad that I was in college when those three came out and I could really appreciate it for what it was. Yeah, me too. I've bought the CD, I think, three times while mm-hmm. I actually, before I had it digital because I just kept, it kept getting scratches and ruined and I'd have to buy another one. Yeah. I just, I just played it so much. Uh, then track three is Elite, which is, it's the heaviest song on the album. It's, it's completely unique from all the other songs because it's just, Chino's screaming the whole time. It's the mm-hmm. heaviest. It's got this really heavy, cool, just, but it's like a slow, heavy metal song, which is really unique. But, and that's because the way Abe plays drums, it's never like, he, he, everything is just like a chill, laid back beat. On their heaviest tracks, he's just got like a chill groove to it. And that's what makes them stand out as a band is like a lot of bands would be like, oh, let's just play the drums super fast. And Abe's just like, no, I'm going to play something super chill here. He, he's good at, at the space between notes. Right. He's very yeah. good at that. Yeah. And it's, that's what makes this so good. And this song won a Grammy in 2001 for best metal song of the year. I didn't uh, know. Yeah. And I remember when they won it because everyone was shocked because like it was going up against Slipknot's Wait and Bleed. It was going up against, I think, an Anthrax song and a Pantera song. Okay. And a, uh, so at the time, like Anthrax and Pantera were these like, you know, giants oh, yeah. in metal. Maybe not and, Anthrax. <laughs> well, at least yeah, they were I a little would. bit. I think they were <laughs> past their prime by, by the 2000s. Let's... But even still, they're like a, when everyone thought of metal, you did think of like Anthrax yeah. and Pantera, stuff like that. You don't think yeah. of Deftones. So this song comes and it wins a Grammy for best metal song of the year. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> Who's this? What? How? Cause it, and it's so different than everything else in the record. And it was funny. Cause a lot of other people were like, well, how come like they didn't win for one of their singles? Cause this song wasn't a single, but this song is a just metal track. It's metal. And yeah. so, and it's just it's like really when Jethro Tull beat Metallica in the eighties <laughs> for the Grammy for same thing, metal, best metal yeah. performance. And everybody's like Jethro Tull. Tull. Yeah. Okay. So this song has just got so much energy, such a good, like driving song, like just sit in your car and bob your head to the beat. Cause it's got this really good, simple, like ingredients to a Deftone song, groove drums, slick mm-hmm. bass, simple, but catchy as fuck guitar riff with Chino doing something amazing over the top. Like they just, they just have these elements that they do. And this song is just like the perfect combination of all that. Um, it's one of my favorite on the song. It are one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, number four, RX queen up until this point, Deftones hadn't really experimented with like a whole lot of electronic stuff. Everything was very guitar driven. This song starts off with just the drums. Another, you know, doing, starting off the song with just the drums, but it's got a lot more of the effects and a lot more of the electronic vibe to it. And then when the guitars come in, it just builds it into this big, huge chorus, which is really, really fun. Um, You can hear like the, just the the interplay between Chino and Steph because 
the you got like this calm like and then it the the chorus comes in and just the heavy wall of guitars comes in and hits you and it's very stiff very deft tones it's just a perfect blend of melody with the heavy guitars and these electronic elements and i had never at that point i had never heard deftunes do anything like that and i was just getting into electronic music at this time so i was like whoa they're embracing something that i just found out about and it's really new to me so i really enjoyed that song a lot um, this this do. is one rx queen is one that i got the lyrics wrong yeah uh so, which is good you told me that the lyrics aren't really right, no one knows yeah. what they're about necessarily right. Um, but there's a line at the end of this song where he's he's doing like that whisper thing and that very rhythmic mm-hmm. talking whisper. And uh, he's going like, look at him now. Look at him. And I thought he said the name Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so for the longest time since the record came out, I was always and this is I, I don't know why I don't ever fact check myself with lyrics. But like right. I listen to it I'm like, look at him now. Look at him, Steve. I'm like, who's Steve? Is he the RX queen? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's so funny. I'm so bad at lyrics. <laughs> yeah, like, and yeah, and it's look at him sting. And yes. so it's yeah, and so it's it's. I know it, that it doesn't now. Make any sense? Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's hilarious. Could have just been as well, Steve. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. Might as well have been Steve. Why not Steve? Why not any love for Steve? I know. Then the song That's could have been called Steve. Yeah. RX Steve. That's yeah. <laughs> Prescription Steve. I don't know what the it's, RX is. That is. That. <laughs> uh, so then the next track is a uh, street carp, which for the guitar work, it's just super fun. I think this is just showcasing a lot of just Steph's, a lot of just his, he likes these fun, fast riffs. Chino is more upbeat. It's like a little shorter song, but Chino's vocals with his screaming and his melody are just the icing on the cake of the song. It's a very fun track. It's it's kind of to me this album itself is divided into two halves, and this kind of marks the end of the first half because Teenager is just a straight up electronic song. Yeah, just super chill. Guitar, yeah, super chill, and Chino's just singing over it. It, and it like signifies like this is the end of the first half, and then what's coming up next is completely different. That's in interesting. Al- album is done. Yeah, and Teenager is a great song. It's a great chill track. It kind of gives you a break between all of the intensity of the first half, because the second half of the album isn't as intense. It's mm. it's got it's got more of a like a like a it's got a different vibe to it. It's. It's got like I mean Korea's hard and heavy and all that but it goes it comes into knife party which the intro riff off the bat just of the guitar coming in kind of like is building something a bit more epic and a little bit different and knife party my favorite song on the album same here. uh the bass comes in and it's it's that fretless bass with like the slide and this very like soaring effect which is really cool the song is like solid, but when it comes to the 250 mark and the bridge comes in, it just takes like a whole new life of its own. Yeah. Yeah. This song has made Deftones fans out of more of my friends than any other song. 
Like if there was someone who was like, oh, I don't know, I like rock music. I'm like, listen to this if you appreciate music. And it comes to that 250 mark. So many times I'd show this to my friends. I'd be like, whoa, damn, what's going on? Because mm-hmm. then like the backing vocals come in and that the woman's like, you know, singing in the background. And then she starts to scream as it all builds. And then through the edge of the song, she's like screaming like these like blood curdling screams. But it fits so perfectly. That's the best female vocal performance like that. Right. Next to, what is it, The Great Gig in the Sky, the Pink Floyd chong, <laughs> right. song from yeah. Dark Side of the Moon. That's exactly where it took me to was just that. And I'm going, holy shit, this is just as good. Yeah, And that's, that's hard to top because when that came out for Dark Side of the Moon, no one was doing anything like that. It's like two minutes of just buildups and dro- builds and breaks and builds and breaks. And this woman's just going nuts on it, just all yeah. over the place singing. <laughs> and then the Deftones come and do that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's just as good. And I'm like, all right, that who I don't know. You know more about the record than I do. Um, mm-hmm. You told me, I think that that was just some lady they met that it, like did a guest track. So yeah, there was, they were in the studio and across in, in this, in another studio in the same building. Okay. Um, there was like another recording session going on and they had walked by and seen her. And so they like stopped in to hear her sing. And she, Chino went over, he was like, Hey, he goes, we have this song and there's this bridge part. He's like, I like your voice. Can you just come sim- sing something on top of it? And she's like, yeah, sure. So Someone who I had never heard of, and she, you know, didn't take off and become some crazy star. Great vocalist. So she just comes in. They're like, hey, this sounds good. And she just laid that down. And I mean, I can't, I I don't know what it was like, but I'm sure everybody got chills because I know I would have. Uh, Yeah. My jaw would have been on the floor to hear that live. Yeah. Um, There's two things that stand out to me about that part. And it really is that to me is such a high point for the record. The first thing that stands out is the whatever she's doing felt composed. Mm-hmm. And by what, by what I mean by that is not a note is out of place. Everything is where it should be. And it feels so intentional what she's, right. what she's doing there that I would have imagined that she went home and wrote that. And if mm-hmm. it's, if it really is an improvised thing, then, oh my God, because yeah. <laughs> how do you just tap into that? level of perfection that much. If you're putting the work in and you're like, well, you know, I want to do this part and then I want to go, you know, right there. That's fine. I get that. That, that makes sense. And you've earned, you've earned the quality that you did. But if you're able to just do that, my God, that's such a talent. The second thing is, and you might be able to answer this. When I listen to that part, there's, I feel like they're doing a couple of things behind the scenes as well to digitally manipulate it. There's some notes that she hits Uh that I'm like, they had to have like jumped that up an octave because there's, that's just inhuman. Yeah. Is that correct? Or is it all just live? Like, I kind of want to hear the vocals only part of that, (laughs) the isolated track and go, how much is it just you? And how much did they get to beef it up? So as far, I, I've never heard anything that the band or any of the artist or anybody has ever said, or the producer or anybody, nobody's ever said, Oh yeah, we digitally manipulated her so she could hit those high notes. Okay. I don't know if they did. It's a really I don't high one. They did it. Yeah. There, there is some, and I'm not even kidding. There is some insane high notes on this. So if she actually could hit this, then she's like at this operatic level. That's just right. insanity. Not right. saying that no one could ever hit that, but you have to be like specially gifted and specially trained to be able to hit that. Amen. It's unreal. Yeah, that- 
real. That's the and point that's that what I, yeah. makes it so special. Because she goes, she goes in, and then she sings it, and then the the chorus comes back in, and then she screams it, which is just it's like you're just like what? Like you're just mind blown. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's so moving. It's so. Um, Again, for for not this is this is such a testament to the power of music. Yes. Over the power of lyricism. I love that no one knows what the song is about because it really doesn't matter. This is such a moving track that is it has the ability to hit me on such an emotional level and carry me on this little ride that. Yeah, he's singing. I mean, it's a knife party. What? I don't know. Go get your (laughs) knife. Come on in. Um, I'm and there. I don't know where I was going with that. I was rambling a little bit. I think I like the mystery of it a little yeah. more, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that that adds to it. Um, and my, yeah, just home run. This is that's it's the best track on their best album. And yeah. and I, I, I like what you said about the back half of it, too, because it changes. Because, yeah, there's I find that I like the back half tracks more than the front me, too. Half. The, the, like I like the front half, but the back there's something special and unique about the back half, mm-hmm. and it, you could tell when they at least I would think that when they sat down to like figure out the arrangement of the tracks, they were like, "Hey, these all these songs have a different vibe than these songs, so we're gonna put a lot of the energy up front, and then we'll break it up with the electronic chill track in the middle, yeah. and then we'll just have these songs that have this just." ethereal special you know relaxing but heavy vibe to it in the it's back psychedelic half. it's heavy yeah. psychedelic music and yeah there's not enough of that out there in the world and i absolutely no. love it when artists can do that well i'm on board yeah. i think um another thing that really stands out to me about knife party and a lot of the other tracks here you know when we were talking about chevelle earlier mm-hmm. the one thing that those they didn't do that i wanted is this explosion of sound and that's white pony is a great example of the loud quiet loud dynamics yes that when these songs kick in when they go from an rx queen and when it bursts into that chorus or when it when it kicks in with knife party and in digital bath and in passenger and a lot of these songs on this record you feel it it yeah there is a a boom to it and the dynamics are all there like you want and it pushes you and and i hate that not more band i hate that more bands don't do that enough me too um it's so effective it's i mean it's the nirvana loud quiet loud it's the pixies yeah. it's it's yeah uh, it, is. it smells like teen spirit it's all of that kind of stuff and it's so good every time somebody can do that really well but i feel like i don't know if it's modern production techniques or what a lot of bands they seem to want to do that but when it's final when it's all said and done it just falls flat. It just doesn't, yeah. doesn't go it's, anywhere. It doesn't, they don't execute it right. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did find out, like watching interviews or listening to interviews with Steph, they were like, what gives you that massive just sound that you have? And he said he learned, you know, uh, was it around, uh, I think it was on Around the Fur. He learned, he wanted a big full sound. He said he wanted, you want those heavy guitars to just like knock you over kind of a feeling. And so he'll, he'll put like, he'll stack up like six or eight tracks of guitar per channel. Yeah. And you can, you can definitely hear it. And that's the difference between like them or a Chevelle or them or any other rock band. Like it comes to those parts and it's just so much heavy distorted guitars. It's massive. And so out of years ago, when I first built my own recording studio, 
I had, uh, I was like, I'm I want to record this way and see how it's different. Cause I had recorded some demos and stuff or songs just for fun. And then I just started doing that. And now every time I record like a rock song, that's how I record it. Cause it just makes that it gives you that effect. I'm just like, wow, you spend more time recording it, but it's so good. It's, it's so worth it. Powerful. Yeah. yeah. It's, and that's what makes them so unique. Uh, the next track, Korea, is a chase. Is is like a little bit of a change of pace. To it's still got this psychedelic vibe. It's got this distorted, dissonant guitars, but it all builds because there's the the melody of the the verse over the the dis, the, the dissonant, distorted guitar riff, and then it builds to this big epic chorus, mm-hmm. and Chino's just screaming. Once again, lyrics don't make any sense. I don't care. I know the <laughs> song's not about the country Korea, but it's such a good song. <laughs> I love the outro of this one so much with that. Yes. Uh, that weird little sound yeah. effect they put in. That's, that's yeah. just, every time he gets to that, that's just so cool. It's just, there's no other word. It sounds cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a great track. Uh, it kind of, I feel like, I mean, it's a great track, and I feel like it doesn't get enough credit by a lot of people because a lot of people they're like they'll listen to knife party and like oh passengers on soon let me go listen to passenger <laughs> and so it's like oh let's skip over korea but no korea is a great song it's just different from the two that are it's sandwiched in between yeah but it's still a great song and it's just heavy and got this just specialness to it <laughs> and the story behind passenger is actually really cool and i didn't find this out till the last few years so <clears throat> Deftones, when they were recording this, the uh, Chino and Steph said they were having trouble with the arrangement on some of the songs, and they felt like they wanted to make something super special. And they were just struggling. You know, they had been writing for months, and then they had been recording in the studio for months, and they were like, we just need some, you know, we need some outside input. So they asked Maynard James Keenan from Tool, and they said, they didn't ask him to come guest as do vocals. They said, hey, can you come help us out with the arrangement on some of these songs? Because they're like, we want to make this special and you're great at what you do. We'd like your input. So he said, sure. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out with some of the arrangements. So you can really hear his influence on this song. Mm-hmm. Everything from the guitar work to the vocals, you can tell they really were like, okay, come help us with this track. Yeah, it does and feel it, more like a collaboration than a guest vocal spot. Right. It, yeah. it's, it feels like it's half a Tool song. It really does. And so this song, the, the, the guitars on this, some of my favorite guitar work on any song ever, mm-hmm. between just the simplicity of the verse guitar riff with the harmonic work on like the pre-chorus, it's just simple but elegant. And it's, oh, it's so good. And then the du- I don't, I'm not a big fan of duets. I'll just say it unless they're okay. done really well. Yeah, I, it's just not something I look for. But this song, when done in a duet, it's just mind blowingly good. I don't know if I've ever sat down and thought that much about duets as a whole. I I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm like, oh, it's got to got to really hook me. Um, that's interesting. But yeah, they're the way they play off of each other vocally in this was it's a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. what's kind of cool is um, it would have been I would have been interested to hear if maybe at one point they both tried singing the chorus at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a version where they tried that, and eventually they ultimately decided, no, let's just let Maynard kind of take the the, the hook. Um, but I, I bet there's a version out there where it's it's double tracked with Chino, like right. either screaming or matching or doing something along with it. Uh, and I, I'm, I am curious to hear if that exists, what it would sound like. 
I'm curious too, because I've seen I've seen a few uh, live performance videos on YouTube of them doing this song, and there's like a guest vocalist from another artist is the artist that's there yep. doing. You know, like they had hit, uh, what was it? Uh, the the chick from Paramore. Paramore, she, yeah, I saw yeah. that one. That was a good one. And there is like, sometimes it was even like, you know, just like a band, a local band that they had there and they had them come up and do Maynard's part, which I thought is super cool, but I've never seen a video of Maynard doing it with them. There's, I think there's one. I, uh, okay. Maybe. I'll have to look. It, it, I think it's, a, there's a, there's an audio of it. I know. An audio. Sure. Okay. But um, I would, I would like to see them both. You're right. I would like to see. Pretty them sure I had that on, that on LimeWire. <laughs> 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 pretty sure I had that that audio bootleg somewhere. <laughs> uh, a passenger. That was if I, uh, growing up as a as a young man in California, especially in the summer of 2000 and 2001, you have perfect weather. And yeah. I would drive with the windows down and I would just listen to that song. Like yeah. no matter where I was driving at night, it's just it's got, the it's got, perfect cruising song. That's October in Baton Rouge, riding around LSU campus with my friend in his GMC Jimmy. Um, just all, all together. It's always, that song will always take me back to that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, probably cause we did it so much, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's still, it's just right. I'm, I'm, that's a, one of the things that I'll always love about this record is I've got such a personal connection to it because of that time and place. It's that it's one of those quintessential college records for me that, yeah, um, yeah man, I just, I love this, this album so much. It's, it's a top to bottom. It's such a great record. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is change in the house of flies. Uh, their lead single off of the album. This song was everywhere for like two years. Yeah. Movies. Little Nikki soundtrack. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it, was, it was literally everywhere. Movies, TV shows. I did get burned uh, out on it. I, I, I started to, but I never really got burnt down on because I, if I would actually stop and sit down, I'm like, okay, I, I hear the things I still appreciate. Um, I don't like it when radio does kill a, a song. Like radio's killed a lot of songs for me. Just like I can't go back and listen to them because they were on yeah. the radio so much. This song almost got killed by the radio for me, but it's it's still a great song. And for uh, for a radio track, it's like over four minutes, which is unusual because they usually try and keep them like between three and four. But they the one thing I appreciated was that they didn't make a radio version of this song because I feel like if they had, they would have ruined it. You would have had to cut out some key part of the song. Yeah, the song is a long time. It takes a long time to build to where it's going, but it's a great song. Mm-hmm. So then it comes to the final track, uh, Pink Maggot. Uh, I don't think this it's song not gets in. Pink Magit? I don't know. Because it's M A G G I T. I mean, that's Maybe not how it you is. spell I thought it was French for maggot. <laughs> I don't I'm just being stupid. I'm, it's just dumb. <laughs> just cut this part. Uh, cut that off. <laughs> Edit that. I don't think this song gets enough love. Um,. It is a very slow building song. It takes two minutes and 45 seconds just to get to the chorus, but it is so worth the wait. Um, it's, it's that it's got this very, I don't, it's got this very unique vibe and it's very airy and ethereal to it. A lot of like background stuff going on in the background mm-hmm. with the guitar and just Chino singing for the first half of the song. And then it comes to that chorus and that chorus is beautiful. And so this is where the, 
the record company like came and intervened because they released the album. Deftones said, we wanted to create something special. They did it. They released it. And the record company was like, oh, hey, Limp Biscuit is huge. We want you to compete with Limp Biscuit, And you have this song, Pink Majit. Ha. Ha. <laughs> 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 and uh, they're, like, they're like, the chorus is really good. So why don't you take that chorus, speed up the song, and write a different guitar riff for the verse and then you know make like a limp biscuit rap style and the band didn't want to do it Mm -hmm. but you know they have to do what the record company says so they went and they did it and they released back to school slash mini maggot and not that i don't like back to school it's a fun song it's it's one of the songs that i like but it wasn't originally on the record and i like i do like on the fact that on this 20th 20th anniversary edition they didn't include it because it yeah. wasn't something that they originally wanted to do there was the record company which is like oh we want to sell more copies and compete with limp biscuit it's kind of the record i mean obviously record companies can be dicks so that was just an instance of them not letting the artists be themselves even though I really do like Back to School, but it's not a, an accurate representation of where the band was at the time, even though it's still a good song. So, yeah, I think for I, for me, I didn't know that story until mm-hmm. you told me. And I always thought they wrote Back to School and then Pink Majit was <laughs> kind of a coda to the record uh-huh. and a callback to that. And, and so of those two, I think Pink Mag- let's just call it Pink Maggot. I think Pink Maggot's probably it's it's the better song, and, and I like that they really did. Like they, I felt like they took the same chords and they were like, let's just slow this down and get it gnarly. And I was yeah. like, that's fucking cool that they did that to their own reprise of their song. Um, and yeah, back to school when I would have their CD copy that I had of of White Pony with that song mm-hmm. as the intro track, I happily skipped that one. I was never a huge right. fan of Back to School. It was That was a single, and when it came on the radio, I was like, okay, but it had a little too much of that click, click, boom right. si- style of music to it, and so I went, let me skip over that. And I would always start with track two, so when I pulled up this, this 20th anniversary copy, and after you had told me that they didn't really intend that song to be on the record, and yeah. you can see it starts with, it doesn't start with that. It starts with, uh, I can't pronounce that one. Yeah. <laughs> Faticiera. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Faticiera? When it starts with sure. that, this was so cool because I got to hear how it was intended. And it's a better record without Back to School. It is. It is it's a, a lean, record. It's a little bit leaner, but um, Back to School, does, it always felt a little juxtaposed. And now yeah. everything feels consistent, even right. with pink maggot at the end of it um they had different vocals at the end of passenger too did you catch that yep on this yep. version that yep. was interesting and I, I made me go back I, I after i went through and i listened to it again i was like i'm so familiar with this record but when i heard the different vocals at the end of passenger i went through and listened to the whole thing again because i was like what else did they what else am i missing is there other new stuff <laughs> and that's the only one that i could find i could i couldn't hear anything else that i thought was new no. and different to the 20th anniversary other than that the subsequent so, remixes that follow. Right. So yeah, the, uh, I had, I had gotten when white pony first came out, I got the original copy. And so then to me, I just heard, you know, like six months later, whatever it was, they were like, Oh, there's a deluxe edition with a new track, which was back to school. So I got that oh, and I okay. was like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm glad I got the extra track. So for the whole time, but I didn't know that story till years later, how they yeah. were just like, Oh, we went another single. But then 
I'm uh, so then I've listened to Passenger for years. Th- whatever they did for the ending of the vocals on Passenger, I didn't hear until like four years ago, three or four years ago. It was the first time I heard Passenger with those different vocals. And there's been, I don't know, three or four different iterations of White Pony released over the years. Mm, okay. So at some point, they just added in those different vocals at the end of Passenger, and then it made its way. I don't know if it was because of a digital release or something like that when it came huh. on to like Spotify and Apple Music. I'm not sure. But it is definitely something that is you know, a subtle difference from the first album that I ever got back in 2000. And it is. So it's, it's, it's a fun little addition. But a, uh, yeah, it is the, the nice little polish at the end there. So my favorite tracks are Knife Party, Fiat Syria, uh, Elite, and Passenger. And for the first time, I'm giving it five beards. Nice. This album's perfect. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you, I, there's only one song on here that I really just don't care for. Uh, and mm-hmm. I can, I, I can kind of skip over it. Even after they took Back to School out. And it's Street Carp. Um, and just lyrically, it's the, it's the chorus where here's my new address. And I'm like, you d- yeah. dude doesn't know his address. And it yeah. kind of, it kind of like <laughs> bugs me on a weird level. Um, <laughs> but other than that, like, yeah, man, the, the best tracks on here, knife party, passenger, digital bath, RX queen, Korea, all the way for mm-hmm. me. I looked at this, I, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Had this been by itself, it sort of been like damn near five beards. Um, but I took it as a whole package with the remix album included. So let's get into the remix album a little bit. Um, I, I, I will say overall nine times out of 10, I don't feel like remix albums are ever of a lot of added value. Some bands that I really like a lot do this a lot. I'm a huge nine inch nails fan. He does a remix album for every release that he puts out and just allows people to collaborate or he'll remix stuff himself. Trent Reznor will white Mm -hmm. zombie has done it. Marilyn Manson did it. Even Bush did it in the nineties. They had like a whole remix album of their stuff. Uh, And you know, yeah, I maybe had the spawn soundtrack and listened to some of that too. So (laughs) I'm, I'm okay with it, but typically I don't like remix albums. I feel like they're just unnecessary and they don't add anything to me. It often feels like a cash grab. A little bit. A lot of times it does. This is probably one of the better remix albums I've heard. And it's Mm -hmm. probably, I think a lot of that is because we like the songs going into it. Um, Not all of them are hits. Not all of them were were very good. But there are some really good remix on here. Uh, Remixes on here. The RX Queen remix was one that I thought was really good. Um, The Knife Party remix was unique. Oh, yeah. Passenger. uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) With uh, the dude from Linkin Park remixing that one, I thought was outstanding. And um, I even thought in a couple of instances, like in Pink Maggot, the remix is better than the original. Mm Mm-hmm. The remix is very good. So I thought that one, I felt like they really, they took it up a notch. Um, so it's interesting. I, 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 I'll give you my total, I'll, my total rating as okay. a whole for the double record with this uh-huh. white pony plus remixes. The remixes brought it to a three and a half for me. Okay. Cause not all of them are necessary, yeah. but right. when they're good, they're good. Um, yeah. but it was, it became sort of a, I can skip that. I can skip that. I can skip that. Um, but if I'm looking, if I were doing just like you and it was just white pony, this would be, I'd, I'd probably have to give this a five. Yeah. It's yeah. So I'd probably good. be right there with you. <laughs> uh, I just did it in two halves. The remixes, okay. there's only five of them. I felt 
were I liked, and that was Elite Streetcar Teenager Knife Party and Passenger. Um, uh, yeah, Knife Party and Passenger was a good remix. Knife Party and Passenger are are, are the best ones. Teenager is really good because Robert Smith just simplified the song, took it down to its stripped it down to its bare roots of a song, and it's beautiful. And added some piano. <laughs> That yeah. I thought was really cool. That was like, oh, that works. Okay. Yeah. And Chino's vocals aren't don't have a lot of effects on them, and it's brought to the forefront of the mix, and yeah. it just makes it even better. Yeah. Very you well. You really done can hear how good of a singer he is. So like I did it in two halves just because I was like, it's five for the original record, the the pure record, its first release. And then the remixes, I'll just give it a three. Cause on the the ones that I don't like, I just feel like they're just nothing there. That's fair. And, I'm just, and the the other the the ones the the remixes that I do like they're good, but other than that the other ones I don't ever care to listen again because like it just like it, to me uh, a couple of them even like the first one Fiat Syria the remix it's just outside of the guitar riff for like the first ten seconds it's just noise yeah and I'm like but it, there's it, no, that I'm one like, there's never no went anywhere and that's right. a, that's I feel like a lot of remixes will do that and right. that's frustrating for me me too. Like, I don't expect every remix to be a hit or to be like super catchy, but when it just devolves into noise, I'm just like, come on. Like, what, 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 like, are you trying to be so artsy that you're just like, like, come on, it's nothing here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm all for experimentation, but, um, those are duds. Yeah. Yeah. They're just duds. Yeah. They're, they are just duds. So, uh, what did you pick for this week? Ah, okay. For this week. I, to tie in with my Danny Elfman weird sniggle pick, picked um, a new album by one of my favorite bands of all time, Mr. Bungle. Mm-hmm. Um, and the album is called, it's their new album. It was released October 30th of last year uh, in 2020. It's called The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny Demo. Now, let me tell you why I love Mr. Bungle, and then I'll tell you why I love this record. <laughs> I got into Mr. Bungle shortly after that little three- album arc that I was just mm-hmm. talking about to a lateralis kind of being the last one. I dated a girl and she introduced me into this band and I instantly fell in love with the band. They are so bizarre and so unique and so yes. talented and so cartoonish and obnoxious and punk rock and jazz and everything. <laughs> and it's all kind of rolled up into one. And I really just became obsessed with it because it was so unlike anything I'd ever heard before, including like Frank Zappa, which I liked Mm -hmm. in high school and the sheer originality of this and the talent that it took to pull off what they were doing. And I heard their first record first, the 1991 self-titled Mr. Bungle album Mm -hmm. and completely fell in love with it. Right after that, I got their 1999 record, California, which is one of my top 10 records of all time where the songwriting became a little bit more a, a little uh, a little bit more accessible but mm-hmm. a lot of just weird flourishes. So and it what I love about that one is it sounds completely different than their first record which is a lot of funk, ska, circus music mixed yeah. in, <laughs> horns, heavy metal, jazz, very experimental. They'll get ambient but then they'll they'll have these huge uh kind of surprise gotcha shocking volumes uh just out of nowhere almost like jump scares in a horror movie mm-hmm. which you could tell they were going for so i got huge into this band and absolutely loved them uh their singer is mike Patton, who's from faith no more who's another one of my favorite bands and is 
probably my favorite singer of all time. He's mm-hmm. in about 50 different bands, and that's not an understatement. He really has done that many projects, and uh, and I really love all of them. I think he's such a talented vocalist altogether. So, Mr. Bungle, they're together. Um, Faith No More is obviously a big thing, too, so Mike Patton's kind of splitting his time between two bands. They released three albums in the 90s. There's the 1991 record, they're self-titled, their 1995 record, Disco Volante, and then 1999's California. Shortly after California, the band kind of breaks up. They go their separate ways. Their guitar player starts a band that I like a lot called The Secret Chiefs 3, which is a surf rock, east like Middle Eastern techno heavy metal band. All of those things sound completely contradictory, but it works and he pulls it off. I don't know how he pulls it off. Mike Patton goes off. Faith No More breaks up. He does other bands like Tomahawk, Peeping Tom, Phantomas, all these other bands in the night in the mid 2000s, early 2000s that I liked a lot. And the rest of their band just kind of goes their separate ways. Trevor Dunn, their bass player, got involved with a lot of different bands with Mike Patton and did some stuff with Secret Chiefs. And he kind of became a studio musician uh, for a little while after that. And they would get together every now and again and guest on each other's tracks. Mike would do a Secret Chiefs song. He would do a vocal track on there. He'd bring, you know, their guitar player over, uh, Trey Spruance is his name, did guitar tracks for Faith No More when their guitar player quit on one of their records. So these are guys that met when they were in high school and clearly have a friendship. And even though all of their careers took off, they all kind of stayed by each other. The story of this record, their new one, The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo, which I absolutely love, is the three main people, Trey, Mike, and Trevor, are sitting there and they're talking and they're like, you know, it's been a while since we've all played together. What do you think about doing a Mr. Bungle reunion? And they all kind of said, you know, Mike Patton was like, well, Faith No More just did a reunion and we didn't want it to be. Uh, you know, that was that was kind of like all of our greatest hits. And, and it was there was an expectation of a Faith No More reunion. Um, Mr. Bungle was always unique enough. They were like, well, if we did a reunion, it would feel kind of hacky to just get together because we don't have hits. So what are we going to play? Right. And it was Trevor Dunn who said, what if we redid our first demo from the 80s? <laughs> Yeah. And that's where the thing, the story gets really interesting to me. So uh, before their 1991 debut, Mr. Bungle recorded three or four demo tapes that helped them to get really popular in the California music scene before that. One of their demo tapes before Mr. Bungle came out was how Mike Patton got hired for Faith No More. The tape got in the hands of Jim Martin uh, from Faith No More, the guitar player at that time, and he liked it so much that he had Mike flow out, flown out for an audition. They liked him so much that they had him record new vocals on their already recorded record, and that's what blew Faith No More up in the 80s with Epic, and mm-hmm. uh, their album's called The Real Thing. As you look at their band, uh, Mr. Bungle's progression through these demos, each demo sounds pretty different from the other, and you can clearly see a progression of their band. They're bad quality. These are 80s demo <laughs> songs recorded on like four-track machines on cassette tape, so the quality's horrible. And their first rec- their first demo that they did in 1985 is very much just like them being into really 80s thrash metal. Metal, yep. <laughs> and so they go, all right, so you know, what if we redid our thrash metal demo album that we did in the 80s? And uh, I guess they all went like, yeah, let's do that. So they so they get together, they get a new drummer, they get the drummer from Slayer, Dave Lombardo. They add a guitar player. They had Scott Ian from Anthrax, which is kind of interesting because second time we brought up Anthrax. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) 
And in last year, they show up and they re-record, they relearn and re-record all of these songs that they wrote in high school and put it out. And that's their new record. And that's why it's called the Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo Mm -hmm. and not album is because it's just a (laughs) re-recording of their demo songs with a couple of additions in two cover tracks that they added. Um, And I I think that's such a cool story that it adds to my enjoyment of this record. Um, On top of that, so I go, I go back and forth a little bit with this album. Um, You can tell it's written by 16 year olds. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) But one of the things that's so special about it to me is when I was 16 and playing guitar, I went through a period of time and it was me and my buddy Jeff and all we listened to was thrash heavy metal. It was a lot of Megadeth, Metallica, Pantera. I wasn't ever huge into Anthrax, but like Slayer was there. And man, we tried to do our best to play those songs and write those songs. And so again, with nostalgia in mind, I've got a soft spot in my heart for a lot of that music from that time. I'll always go back and listen to like Vulgar Display of Power and and Cowboys from Hell, those early Pantera records. And to, you know, to look at them through the lens of what's good and what's not objectively, I can't do that. I am biased, in my opinion, because they meant so much to me when I was 16. And to hear that same kind of love for that style of music come out in this record, by played by a bunch of guys that are now in their 50s. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's just so cool for me to hear that. Um, I think it's I think even though, yeah, you can tell it was written by teenagers, there's the level of musicianship on this is just top notch. Yes. You know, last week we talked about Solstafir, the band, mm-hmm. and how there's a beauty in how imprecise they are. This is a precise album. These guys are just hitting every note. It's fast. It is loud. It's in your face. Once it kicks off, it barely slows down. And it is a super intense record all the way through. Um, I won't go track by track through it necessarily. I'm going to hit on some of the highs. It does start with like an all-instrumental guitar track mm-hmm. called Grizzly Adams. And I love that in the in the liner notes where they interviewed Trevor Dunn, the bass player, um, he even says, this was our guitar player's creation. It's a song we've never played live ever. In fact, we initially just decided that the band needed an intro. So he went home and made this. It's hilarious to me because it's too long for an intro, but that's what's great about it. <laughs> and I love, <laughs> I love Trevor's quote on that because it's exactly how I feel about it. Right. Um, and he said, in a way, it's this kind of heroic, melancholy piece. And that's it's it's perfect because it's everything that kind of summarizes Mr. Bungle's attitude, which is you think you hear this. You're like, oh, this is probably gonna be like a minute. They're like, no, fuck you. It's three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it just keeps going. And other stuff that you think is going to be going one way. They're so good at the misdirection. Yeah. Of their music. So from there, it goes into uh, their first track, again, written by teenagers. The song is called Anarchy Up Your Anus. Um, All the lyrics are just the most teenager lyrics ever. Uh, (laughs) I I went through and I read some of them and I was like, clearly you guys were in in high school. And I'm sure if I found what I was trying to write as lyrics when I was in high school and trying to write those songs, it would be just as obnoxious as this. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And they go from like heavy metal lyrics about death and destruction and stuff to like, some of them are trying to be like social commentary about like war is bad. And then some of them are just like, I'm, I'm a teenager and I'm insanely horny. So this song's all about sex and stuff. Um, but overall, what's what's so cool about this, uh, there's, there's a few things that are funny to me. 
in Anarchy Up Uranus, they they originally in their demo wanted to sample this thing from the Disney's Haunted House ride at Disney World. And they took the script, and because Mike Patton is good friends with Danny DeVito, they had his wife, Rhea Perlman, read it over. So it's her voice on the record, so that way they didn't have to get in copyright uh, with Disney or anything like that. Right. And I thought, that's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> when this song kicks in with the verse, it's it just... It's everything I love yeah. about this band. It's heavy. The vocals sound great. Um, the big recurring theme to me with this whole record is these guys are in their 50s and they're playing this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's an incredibly well-recorded album, mm-hmm. too. It's a little bit... I've heard people complain that it's a little bit of a dry mix, but there's some things that I love about it. The drums sound incredible. The bass tone is one of the gnarliest bass sounds yes. <laughs> on a heavy metal record that I've heard in a long time. And I also love that they have in side-by-side channels, uh, Trace Bronson in one channel and Scott Ian in, mm-hmm. I think, the right channel. Yeah. So you can hear how locked in they are and how good both of those guys are at rhythm, um, yeah. especially when they're playing this like really precise thrash metal stuff going on. The musicianship of this album is just outstanding. This is one of the more aggressive and badass records that I've heard in a long time in terms mm-hmm. of the attitude, the playability of it, the intensity. And it's a bunch of guys in their fifties. You got guys in their twenties that can't do this. They can't pull this yeah. off. So I'm really <laughs> impressed with this. I love that. There's still a sense of obnoxiousness to it. I love the sense of humor of Mr. Bungle that goes along with their incredible musicianship. And this album is really no different than that. Um, uh, there are other things I like about it. It's got guitar solos. Oh my God. The guitar solos sound like video yes. games. And yeah. I went and I read a, I read an interview with Trace Bronze, who is, he's, he's a very talented, not only player, but composer as well. And he was talking about how for this record, when he was rewriting a lot of the guitar solos that, um, he was really trying to go for a specific sound and it was a lot of atonal music. So he's playing whole note scales. He's playing these diminished scales. He's doing things that don't quite fit. And he said a lot of it came from his influence of listening to John Coltrane and him being a jazz musician. And when I read that, I went back and listened to it. Wow. It's, he's got that same frenetic intensity that you'd hear with a lot of John Coltrane records. So that was kind of cool. Um, highly influenced there. I thought that was another really cool part of it. Um, there's two covers on the record. There's the song, uh, I think it's called Habla Español or Die, speak, speak Spanish or Die. Okay. And another one is called Lost for Words, which is like around the last last half of the album, past half of the album that's a Corrosion of Conformity song um, that they decided to cover too. So other than that, every song is from this original recording that they did, just updated, a little bit of refresher to it. It's cool to listen to. Um, I've never listened to the original demo all the way through because the sound quality is so bad. There's a few times on here where uh, some of the riffs, you could tell they took it and pulled it out and it ended up on their self-titled record in mm-hmm. parts of other songs. songs. And yeah. so it's cool to see the evolution of that. Um, I loved, I, I, again, I love the production of this record. I love the sound of it. Mike Patton, as one of my favorite singers, I think he still sounds amazing on this record. He sounds, he does a lot of screaming on this and it sounds like his soul is trying to leave his body and he's just <laughs> trying to rein it back in yeah. unsuccessfully it's this demonic howl and i'm like again this guy is in his 50s now and he's he sounds this great um everything about this though is completely over the top it is obnoxious it's all attitude it's all teenage attitude 
And for that, I absolutely loved it. So I'm going to save my rating. Uh, I want to hear, what did you think of it? Um, so I, once again, the first initial impressions for me listening to this were just the quality of musicianship on this record. Like how you said, everything is precise. I thought this album for like a thrash metal album, the way it was recorded and produced was done perfectly. Like if they didn't go try and modernize it with a ton of over compressing or like they were just like, Hey, we're going to make a thrash metal album. Let's make it sound clean and good, but just keep it simple. Yes. I I understand some people saying, no, it sounds a little dry, but it's thrash metal. That's the way it's supposed to sound. So why are you complaining? (laughs) At least to me. And so, um, I thought it was really good. So when I was younger, maybe like in 13, 14, 15, um, uh, there was, a thrash metal band called tourniquet they were a christian metal band and this sounds a lot like them so it took me back to being like 13 14 15 years old listening to that and then i started hearing the similarities i was like oh they were listening to mr bungle and anthrax you know and all these other artists back then when they were writing their records and i was like and so it brought me back to that time of like when i listened to a lot of thrash metal um Thrash metal now isn't one of my favorites. Nope. Because I feel like I feel like uh they just focus so much on like the high tempo and everything. A lot of the songs can kind of get lost in each other. But there is enough differences on most of these songs to make each one stand out from the other one. They have some really good breakdowns. Uh the uh <laughs> the habla espanol amor is really funny and I like yeah. the mariachi part there in the middle. It's yes. they, they just do some really fun creative stuff with some of these songs. Um Mathematics, good beginning to the song. I really that song just made me want to go out and buy a flying V guitar when I first heard it. I was like, do I have an extra like six hundred dollars? Right. <laughs> I was like, I want to go play this. That and also like the whole rant about how he hates the KKK, ERA, NRA, FCA, CIA. It's just yeah. funny. It's yeah. just really funny. Like, yes, it's a sixteen year old writing this. It's hilarious. Um. Yeah. <laughs> it just a lot of it was just it was not something I'm going to listen to all the time because I'm not into thrash metal all that much mm-hmm. anymore. But still, an extremely well put together album. Uh, Mathematics, uh, the Hypocrites Mariachi song, and Anarchy Up Uranus, my three favorite tracks. I don't think there's a bad track on the album. It's just some of them blend together a little bit more than I had hoped they would. Yeah. Outside of like a breakdown here or there. To which I would chalk up to they're writing this at age 16. Exactly. And and so I I have a little bit of forgiveness to it. Right. I'm not as critical as I probably would be if it was just a new group coming out with this. Um, Right. Yeah. I thought my favorite songs were Anarchy Up Uranus. I thought Raping Your Mind is a good song. Mathematics. Erasis just has a really cool groove to it. Mm-hmm. Um, these the song titles are so obnoxious. Spreading yes. the thighs of death, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, glutton for punishment, and sudden death. The closer was really good. My least favorites. There's three. Was Grizzly Adams. Um, I wrote. It's kind of funny that the intro goes on for so long. Yeah, but also it goes on too long. Yeah, you know. So it's uh, it, uh, that one. I, I typically skip it. Bungle Grind is the most immature lyrically yes. of all the songs, yes. and I can I can skip that one a little bit too. Although again, it's got some weird stuff in it, like the whistle blowing in yeah. the middle of it, just out of nowhere, like the referee whistle. Um, and then the hypocrite slash habla español amuer and lost for words. The two covers were ironically some of the lower points for me on the record. 
Um, yeah, overall, I give it a, a, I wrote four beards, but it's a very strong four beards. Their yeah. other releases are better because they got to be better songwriters, but it was so cool. I just love the story of this, that they got to go back and redo this thing from when they were teenagers in their 50s. And they might get to tour on it this year. And like, I will Ooh. definitely go see that if they come around. Yeah, I'll go with you. I gave it four beards too. Um, even though initially I was thinking like three and a half, but I was like, no, I was like, I'm just not into thrash metal anymore. I'm gonna think about this objectively. And it is that good. It's high quality. They, they yeah, it's the image. I can overlook some of the immaturity and stuff like that. Um, Oh, and every time I saw the, the the title for spreading the thighs of death, it just reminded me of something that like a an angry uncle would say at a family reunion. Oh, that's oh, I gotta go ah, back home and yeah. spread the thighs of death. Like know, that's what he just, calls using the bathroom for some weird right, reason. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, that's where my brain went, and I was like, yeah, this is funny and silly and just gross and weird. That is hilarious. Yeah. What's so funny is I can still put myself in the headspace of being a teenager. And yeah. if I were like 16 and 17, I would think that's the greatest song title ever. And I would think it's oh, hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, but Mr. Bungle has always been a very sense of humor band. Uh, they, they've been very tongue in cheek about a lot of what they do. Mm-hmm. There's a respect for the music, but presentation wise, it's it's a big middle finger up. And I, yeah, that's yeah. one of the things I loved <laughs> about this record is just it's, you know, if you judge punk music by an attitude, it's a punk record. It's very yeah. much a punk record, just as much as it is like a jean jacket thrash metal record from the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very well done record, too. And I like how they, it ha- captures the the vibe of thrash metal to it. Like, I, yeah. And, and I mean, the musicianship was really caught me. Dave Lombardo, there's a couple of drum fills that he does that there's one on on the song raping your mind as it's coming out of like one of the many guitar solos but before the verse locks in everybody comes to a halt and he plays this one drum fill and it's the most badass thing i've ever heard i've rewound that 10 second that not even 10 second three second drum fill more Mm -hmm. times just because it's so cool and it's perfect and so it's the little details like that that i really love that it just i don't think i'd be able to play like this if i i'd have to work really hard to get the yeah you you have to i mean these guys are tight as a band practice practice and then practice some more to be able to perform at that level yeah, they are just so tight as a band. So I loved it. I, I could talk about it all day um, for a very strong four beards mm-hmm. for me. On I'm this right one. there with you for that one. So um, what did you pick for next week? OK, game time decision mm-hmm. for next week. I am going to go in a little bit of a different direction. Ooh. I want to review a softer record. That's mm-hmm. the new album by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. It's called Carnage. And it's a continuation of a much milder sound than a lot of old Nick Cave stuff. But he's done three or four records now that have been super chill and atmospheric. And this is going to be a good change of pace coming out of thrash metal and Icelandic (laughs) post metal um, to hear. So the album is Carnage by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Okay. And I had something picked, but I'm going to switch it because on Friday, Raw dropped their new album, Intercorrupted, and holy shit, it is so much better than I was expecting. Not that I was expecting something mediocre. I just kind of was expecting 
them to keep on doing what they're doing, which they have mm-hmm. to a certain extent, but they've started to add in slight elements of other things. And I've been blown away, completely blown away. Awesome. So I was like, okay, this is really cool. I have to review this next week. I'll just push what I was going to pick next week to the following week. Nice. So yeah, Intercorrupted so two- by Raw. Two brand new releases then. This is going to be cool because both of these yeah. albums, Raj just came out this week. Nick Tave's record has been out for maybe like two weeks. So, okay, yeah, so still super new. new. This is going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, make sure to, you know, if you want to send us any suggestions, you can send them to wherepod at gmail.com or you can send me a message on Instagram at uh, Mr. Underscore Pockets 21. And you can find Dan on Instagram at Dwight Privilege. All righty. Well, thank you everybody for listening. <laughs> we'll see you all next week.